Hi, this is Zach Semke with PassFast Accelerator, and thanks for tuning in to this special bonus episode of the PassFast podcast, recorded at Passive House Network's 2023 conference in Denver, Colorado. And a big thank you to Enersign for the support of the series. The interview you're about to hear was hosted by Ilka Cassidy, co-host of the PassFast podcast. Hi, this is Ilka Cassidy with the Passive House Accelerator podcast, and we are in Denver for the Passive House Network Conference right now. And I just attended a very excellent workshop. Yeah, maybe we can talk about it a little bit more. And But first, can you introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Yeah, of course. Thank you. I'm Enrico Bonilauri, the co-founder of Emu Passive. Uh, we are a a company based out of Denver. We mostly focus on training and consulting. Uh, we used to be an architectural practice, but we saw that in order to bring Passive House to mainstream, we needed a lot more training. Uh, so that is a switch we took around 2016 when, when we moved the company from Italy to the US. That's great. And uh, so what was your workshop about? Uh, today's workshop showed the uh, results of a long research that we undertook in comparing different building standards uh, that are common in the U.S. Uh, building standards including IECC, the Energy Code, including Energy Star, including the DOE Zero Energy Ready Home, Pretty Good House, uh, California Title 24, as well as passive standards such as FUSE and PHIs. So the comparison was uh, looking at the requirements as well as how these standards improve upon the, improve on, on metrics that are important in buildings, not just in terms of energy efficiency, but also in terms of thermal comfort, indoor quality, resilience, and durability. Yeah, it was, it was really, really amazing to see all these numbers in comparison <laughs> and very eye-opening. So for you, what was the main takeaway from this pretty large-scale exercise? <laughs> so thank you for your kind words and thank you for making it. It was a four-hour workshop. Uh, the, the study took us about two and a half years to complete. And over these two and a half years, we also had the chance to evolve what we were looking for. Uh, originally, we were trying to find a way to compare PHI and FUSE metrics, in term, not just in terms of energy efficiency, but also how does the volume-related ACH50 compares uh, to the surface-related air leakage maximum allowed by FUSE, you know, allow for a comparison that would be statistically significant. So we looked at 50 different single-family home projects uh, as a base for that. But um, I personally learned a lot in researching standards other than PHI. I've been working with PHI's standards for 12, 13 years, so I'm very familiar with that. Uh, but I didn't know much about Energy Star or the EPA Indoor Plus standards. So I've learned a lot, uh, so I appreciated that. 
Um, and it's something that is going to feed our training in the future. Um, but also uh, what came out to be discouraging is to see um, the evolution of building code or how building code is slowing the way it changes. Or um, we, we modeled the uh, what we expect to be the 2024 energy code, which is not published yet, so we had a draft. Uh, but we modeled, we modeled the 50 projects based on the draft, kind of as a way to have a look into the future of how the market is going to evolve. And I think that makes all voluntary standards look good because they provide better value, better living conditions than just code minimum build buildings. Yeah. And you said you modeled them. So you used basically one modeling tool mm -hmm. to compare all these different standards with each other. Which, which tool did you use and how do you basically align all these different standards to make them comparable? Um, this is why there's going to be a white paper published for this because uh, even just to define what a standard is, is an exercise in itself. Uh, we looked at uh, the minimum compliance for each of these standards. We created each of these in PHPP uh, to have an analytical way to see the impact of R value specifications versus ACH50 requirements versus Energy Star requires an a 15 seal heat pump versus California requires a certain amount of PVs installed. So it was a landscape that it took an um, effort to level the field and have a, an equal starting point. And then the tool that we used is PHPP out of, we had the models because these were 50 projects that come from the consulting side of our business. And PHPP being an Excel file, it makes it easy to process data past what the tool is designed for. Um, both PHPP and Woofy Passive are based on the same ISO standard, ISO 13,790. So I don't expect if we had used, had we used Woofy Passive, I would don't expect the results to change that much. And at the end of the day, we were trying to compare building standards, not different modeling softwares. So that's why we kept it to the one uh, tool. Mm -hmm. And you just said you use it slightly differently than what it was designed for. And this is actually something that I would like to investigate uh -huh. <laughs> overall during this conference because I'm, I'm very curious about modeling and monitoring tools mm -hmm. because I think those are just so important besides just basically satisfi satisfying certain certification um, standards, they can be used in so many different ways, even as a communication tool, correct? 100%. So what is your, how do you use your modeling tools beyond just, um, you know, getting projects through certification? This is a very important point. There are goals, these are all different goals. Uh, some goals include compliance with one or the other standard. I use my prescriptive R values uh, and U factors for Windows 
and therefore I comply with code minimum. That is one way to comply. And you have no idea on how the bidding is going to perform. That is one big critique against prescriptive approaches because if you're trying to have a significant impact on the building and you know the deliverability of the building, the comfort and actual performance, if you're using a prescriptive approach, you don't actually know what you're doing. Like if, you're, if we are being honest, because prescriptive approaches have a very limited ability to predict or zero ability to predict the actual performance. Now, standards such as PHI and Fuse, uh, Fuse performance based, uh, they have targets in in terms of the maximum allowed heating demand and cooling demand that they allow you to uh, use for the building. I'm not talking about how to set them, but they both have targets that you have to be equal to or less than in order to be certified. Now, those targets of energy consumption for heat and cooling are based on assumptions for internal conditions. And those are for both... um, uh, uh, those are for both PHI and fuse set at 20 degrees Celsius or 68 degrees Fahrenheit for a set point temperature for heating and 25 degrees uh, Celsius and 77 degrees Fahrenheit for cooling. And that is used around the world uh, to determine the, how much heating demand and cooling demand your building has as modeled in PHPP. Uh, but that is different or may be different from how the building is actually operated. Uh, I'm from Southern Europe, I'm from Italy, and thinking of 25 degrees Celsius for set point for cooling, uh, 77 degrees Fahrenheit, that is cold. You know, in Southern Europe, we are used to having 26 or 27 uh, degrees Celsius temperature for cooling. We are fine with that out of cultural preferences and whatnot, but the standard having to be the same across the world, they decided to have 25 degrees, and that is just part of the standard. It's called standard because it's standard. In the US, uh, that 77 degree or, or 25 degrees Celsius that they defined as cold in Italy, it's actually so hot. It's the same temperature, but the expectation from occupants is different. Uh, so when we set up the model uh, for this study, we define we set up the PHPP models with the 68 degree temperature for heating and uh, 77 for cooling, but in actually looking at the uh, site energy consumption, we actually adjusted the model to have 70 degrees uh, heating and 74 for cooling because in my opinion, that is more representative of the expectation of building occupants in the US. Does that answer your question? Yeah, and then how do you, so you use then the modeling tool not only for certification, but to also predict a little bit better mm-hmm. what the actual outcome is, correct? Yes. And then to take that a little bit further, do you use the results to communicate with your clients? Like, do you, does that, sometimes help when people when clients i don't know do clients always come to you already knowing that they want to go through certification or is the modeling sometimes um, a tool for you to explain how much better their building becomes if they actually go 
through certification and is the modeling results maybe a deciding factor? So that's a great question. And to give you an idea, we model about up to 50 projects a year. Like we're a small team, but we can we have up to one or two new projects a week. So we have a lot of projects and that gives us the confidence of being very neutral to the decision that the client makes because uh, it is their project and their uh, money. We provide the science for them to make decisions. In other words, 80% of projects that come through our doors, they do not need, they do not pursue passive house certification. They want to use the passive house science to, for their projects to become better. And better is a word that is, that consists of different metrics, thermal comfort being one of them, indoor air quality, durability, resilience, and energy efficiency. So it's not a single, it's not just about the energy. In fact, in fact, in the decision making of our clients, the energy efficiency ranks pretty low, whereas thermal comfort ranks pretty high, as well as indoor air quality. In this conversation and in building up this narrative, uh, you know, we've been doing this for many years and at the beginning, we did not know how to communicate this as well as we do now. Uh, I personally had a light bulb moment six or seven years ago, talking to a client. Uh, they had a project in Garnison, Colorado Climate Zone 7, super cold, and they were a CPA. Uh, they wanted to compare the return on investment on using triple pane windows compared to the double pane code minimum windows. And I was trying to explain here and there and the kilowatts and the payback and all of that. But at one point, I was like, wait a sec. You know you're going to be miserable with a code minimum window, right? Like, what are you talking about? Well, it's Garnison, Colorado. Your design temperature is negative 15 or whatever. And if you have a double pane window, you're going to be cold. Like, what are you talking about? It's a new window. Yeah, but windows are not designed, code minimum windows are not designed to be, um, uh, they're not designed to be, to provide comfort. And what are you talking about? Yeah, the, the code requirements for windows have nothing to do with comfort. And so then I explained that the requirements for passive house actually have requirements for comfort. That's, that is how you drive the decision of windows. And she immediately went for passive house windows. Mm -hmm. So data is extremely important in providing a handrail for clients to understand this. It needs to be about something that they can relate to. I was talking about U-values for the windows. They, they, they had no idea about U-value. Temperature, they got right away. Mm -hmm. So it's about understanding the expectation, setting goals, and then understanding the priorities. But the modeling is a key part of this. It provides the science-based handrail for them to make decisions. Yeah, no, that's that's all great, great points. And do you do you do any monitoring on your projects? Because I feel like that's very helpful, as very helpful data too. Um, and, we yeah. have as part of Emus pilot program, we have a we have monitoring of moisture conditions inside wall assemblies. That is the monitoring program that we have right now. We don't do much energy monitoring because that is a lower pain point for projects, as opposed to moisture management. Uh, we have a, pro a project of a monitoring program for indoor air quality 
in Europe and then to replicate the same in the US, monitoring CO2 and particulate matter in passive house buildings and as many code minimum buildings. But that hasn't started yet. Okay. Great. Thank you so much. And thank you for the really, really eye-opening um, workshop. <laughs> You're welcome. And thank you for the time and the participating in the workshop.